Hello, and welcome to the Youngin Kotisal podcast, where we are teachers helping teachers. My guest today is Martin Todd. Martin came to Korea in 1995 and has taught English in multiple settings and has contributed to the English teaching community in an equally dizzying number of ways, including Youngin Kotisal. My guess is that Martin is one of those busy people that hold a wealth of knowledge and experience under a quiet, unassuming exterior. In today's podcast, we're going to see just what knowledge and experiences Martin is willing to share. Welcome to the Youngin Kotisal podcast, Martin. It's great to be here. So today, I want to unbox what makes you a well-rounded educator. And I understand that you have uh, experience teaching English to like all different ages of learners and that you're right now you're self-employed, a self-employed ELT professional in Suwon. I took that from the website. Oh, I don't know if I'm actually self-employed. I'm just like uh, not employed by anybody specific. Okay, fair enough. But what I'm curious about is from this pool of experience you have, what have you learned about teaching English over the years that's led you to choose this path over, say, a cushy university gig? Oh, (laughs) Um, oddly enough, I'm aiming for the cushy university gig again. But right now I'm going to school. I'm doing my master's degree at Kyunghee University. And I don't really have time for a full-time job on the one hand, and I don't think anybody would give me one at this point without the master's degree. So mm. it works out nicely. <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, so what's it like taking a, a master's degree at a Korean university like, like Kyunghee? Actually, it's so much fun. I, I was, yeah, I went into it. With a bit of trepidation, I was a, a little worried about whether I could handle it or not. And uh, I just had a blast. Um, I've, I've got a lot of experience, as you mentioned. And so no matter what we were teaching um, or what we were learning, I was really able to bring up some kind of experience that I had that related to it and uh, talk at least semi-intelligently in the classroom about it and lend that to my peers who um, had different experiences. And uh, so it was a lot of fun. And I, I also got to do a lot of things that I, I wouldn't have been able to if I hadn't been in that system. So. You're you're saying was is it is it over? Or um, I'm working on the thesis now, so I'm not taking formal classes. Although I did audit one this semester, mm, which is also fun. Oh, very good. So where so you're at the end of it then? You 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 finished the however long it took you? Soon, yeah. <laughs> Um, as I said, I'm still working on the, I'm still working on the thesis, but, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm finished everything else. I did the same thing. I think I went right to the limit 
a number of years that you know you could sort of put things off. I think it was four years was the total. And having a, a son, you have a uh, William that you say is sixteen months old, so that uh, takes some of your time as well. That takes a lot of time, yeah. And uh, I, I can maybe blame a little bit of of my late graduation on that because uh yeah he uh we were planning to have a son but he came about a semester early and and it's been great having him around but yeah it took a lot of time well but i uh, wouldn't change it no of course not yeah yeah i'm glad you're enjoying him enjoy him absolutely um so what brought you to korea in the first place I was really bored. I was in Canada. I was uh, studying computer science, but I already had a degree. So I was taking like one course a semester, sometimes two courses. And uh, yeah, I was in the reserves on top of that. So uh, I had fun with them, but really I was bored. I was broke. And I wanted to get out and do something, maybe travel a little bit. And I saw this ad in the newspaper that said, you know, teach English abroad. And it was for a crash course in how to teach English. Mm. And so I did that and I ended up here. I, I learned that Korea was pretty easy to get into at that point. So I applied to Korea and I got a job at a Hagwon here. That was uh, 1995? That was 1995. Wow. Well, so in that you've had you know, a lot of time to sort of develop your your style and your perspective and your uh, approach to language teaching. So what would you say now is your strength? Like what makes you a good educator now? Um, well, exactly what you said. I've got a lot of experience. Um, when I started, I seemed to have a knack for working with kids. That's what happens when you're a sergeant and you walk into a classroom (laughs) (laughs) and I got all the handle hard to handle classes, but the, uh, university students and the adults I was teaching were just dropping out of my classes as fast as they could. It took me a while to learn how to do things. And, you know, I've been doing it for 20 years. For the past bunch of years, I've been going to Cotesel regularly and, you know, meeting up with people who have ideas, who have done things, they've got experience too. And so that's if I can go back to the degree, that Mm -hmm. was something that I was really able to bring to the program. I had a lot of experience, both of my own and that I brought from talking with people in Cotessel. And so I had ideas about everything we did. And I was able to just, I mean, I worked really hard, I was able to run through it and have fun with it and, and try completely new things that, you know, I hadn't, but with a 
pretty reasonable chance of success because I already had made 90% of the mistakes that I'm hopefully going to make. I imagine you really added a lot to the class for the other students. Uh, I imagine they really appreciated you being there. Um, some of them did. Uh, some of them had as much experience as I did, or in the ballpark anyway. And these classes and are all so, taught in English or were taught in English? Yes, they were. The professors we had, most of them did their uh, doctorates in uh Pennsylvania, the University of Pennsylvania, hmm. Penn State. No, maybe Penn State. And uh, we had some other people. They were all, you know, bordering on native speakers um, or native speakers. We had uh, one guy who uh, had finished his PhD at Kyunghee a few years ago, and uh, he came in and he taught a few classes. I took my methods from him. Oh, very good. And uh, yeah. So it was no problem doing it in English. Well, wow. sounds like uh, you, you recommend this uh, course. I mean, there's lots of universities, you know, Birmingham or, or wherever. I did mine through uh, University of Southern Queensland, you know, that aren't here. So it's nice to hear somebody taking a master's degree here uh, in Korea and, uh, and speaking highly of it. That is really good to hear. Yeah. Well, before I, uh, went there, I did a check of the world rankings of universities. There are, there are three different ones. And in all of them, Kyunghee University was within a couple of placings of my university, Dalhousie University, that I went to in Canada for my, my undergrad. Wow. I wouldn't and have guessed. So, yeah. I had no idea. And as I said, I double-checked with all, all three. And I think the furthest one away was like five places. And I can't remember which one was better and which one was mm -hmm. lower. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a good university. Hmm. You, you mentioned that uh, uh, you had some challenges in teaching high school students or university students and adults. What can you say? I mean, I imagine that is a little tough on your ego. So, you know, I'm thinking of people that are just coming in and they're they're kind of getting crushed trying to figure out how to reach their students of whatever age. And so I'm curious about what do you do when you're not hitting um, any home runs? I when I'm not hitting any home runs, I just reevaluate my situation. Why am I not? Um, what are the students thinking? Why? Are they not interested in what I'm doing? Is it, you know, they don't understand? Are they so advanced that it's boring for them? Is it just like a topic that nobody's interested in? Yeah, it's pretty easy to sort of go through the list and narrow it down. Hmm. Did you pick up things from Cotisol, from just the Young and Cotisol meetings, uh, but also from you know, the monthly local conferences, national conferences, international conferences that would help you out in that regard? Oh, yeah. I started with the international conference and uh, I, I started going to that in the late 90s. Yeah, I, every time I went in, I picked up some tricks and tips and ways of doing things 
I I didn't really start going to Kotesel regularly until I came to Yongin. And again, even though by that year I had almost you know 20 years of experience, I still learned new stuff. And beyond just you know stuff about teaching, everything's changing these days. Technology is becoming a much bigger part than it was in the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, one person can't, you know, go and research everything and, and you know, do it. But if you come to a, a meeting, there's almost always going to be somebody who's going to show you something you didn't know. And I, uh, I agree wholeheartedly. I, I also found that I was reminded of things that I had learned maybe when I did my CELTA or some other program that I was involved in and to be reminded of things at those conferences was really kind of, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I know this. I should, you know, <clears throat> are good as well as learning. Or, or things that you encountered like a few years ago, but you didn't quite get, or mm. you, you integrated, but you integrated into what you're doing a different way than the person who's doing something else now. Right. Great point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, I don't think I've ever walked away from a meeting where I didn't take something into the classroom the next week or the next month. Agreed. Um, well, so what would you do, you know, have, knowing all the, what you know now, if you kind of went back in time, what advice would you give your younger self, you know, as you're sort of embarking on this teaching in Korea journey? Yeah. Well, in the, in the classroom, I would say, Build class cohesion. That's the number one thing you've got to do. And it doesn't matter what level or what um, age, it's always the same. Get that class working together. So um, how do you do that? What's how your... do I do that? Yeah. I'm, I'm lucky because I teach conversations. So I get them to talk to each other. I, I get them to have fun together. I put them into little groups and have them you know, work out something or have some conversation. I, I try to make it as fun as possible, but still on topic. Um, something I used to do is, well, I still do if I need to. If I, I'm teaching like introducing yourself, it's like there are only so many times you can go and introduce yourself and it's not boring. Right. But if I, say, okay, you're Julius Caesar, you're Donald Trump, you're Paul McCartney. People still know who he is. Um, (laughs) Okay, go and introduce yourself. And then they introduce themselves. And when they're finished, they come back and I say, okay, switch around. Now you're Cleopatra and send them off again. And, you know, they start to ask each other questions. gets creative they they um they're interacting with other people who are being creative and it's fun and even something as simple as like hi my name is can turn into something that's entertaining for everybody and they're practicing it over and over again right Right. so they get good very good sounds like you've got a lot of uh, student talk in your classrooms oh yeah i think so i well 
I was going to say I hate to brag, but it's actually quite gratifying. Uh, I, I think I have more than anybody I know, student talk. How big are your classes? Um, it depends where I am. In universities, they've mostly been around 20 students, although the biggest one I had was I had a couple in the early 2000s that were around 60. Wow. And yeah, right now I've been teaching. I, I did a Zoom camp in the summer with uh, one class had seven and the other class had nine uh, people. And I was teaching a Gamblish course in the fall, which had four people. Mm-hmm. So it can vary a lot. Yeah, really. And uh, two questions sort of came. From, my first question was how how much is using Korean in those conversations a problem or is it no problem at all? And how does doing it over Zoom figure into the conversations? Well, for the Zoom camp, I was lucky. I had the highest level classes in the camp. And so nice. at the beginning, I said, the rule is you have to speak English. And they did. <laughs> <laughs> there was no uh, debate about it. Or I, I interviewed them after. And some of them said, yeah, when we were in breakout rooms, we did actually speak a little bit of Korean. But I was in and out of those breakout rooms, and I never heard a word of Korean through the whole camp. Wow. So they couldn't have been doing that much. Right. Have you done any Zoom conversation classes with the ones that were a little bit lower level? No, I haven't. Uh, I've had other classes with people at a lower level, but never Zoom classes. In my uh, experience, I found it tough to do those uh the breakout rooms in Zoom. And whenever I dropped in, they were either silent. This is university students, silent mm-hmm. or speaking Korean. Once you once you get into the room, they tend to sort of warm up, but on their own, they'd seemed not prepared. And that could well be my my, yeah. my fault. My I I haven't done it over Zoom, but I've done it in a lot of classes. And if I'm working with people who are that low then I have like a couple of general, I don't know, tricks, if you like. Um, number one, I give them a script that they can modify pretty easily mm-hmm. on the spot. Second of all, I give them some incentive because I find Koreans will talk to me in English, no problem. But as soon as there's another Korean in the room, there's a problem. <laughs> they're embarrassed. They feel like they're showing off. They right. think that people are going to laugh at them. And so you've got to give them that incentive. What's and that incentive what, look like? Uh, for me, usually it looks like Martin money. And I give them money if I think they're doing things not necessarily right. If If they're trying hard then i'll i'll give them some even if they get what they're meant to be doing wrong if they're trying i'll give it to them uh if they tried a little bit harder than last time then i'll give it to them um if they come up with the right answer i give it to them and i I also put them into teams and so if they're speaking english they're not showing off they're helping their team succeed and 
that gets pretty good results for me. They get a team Martin money? Sometimes, or just team recognition, or sometimes um, I usually start with a team game. The my my first class when I'm teaching university is uh, you know the introduction class. So they've got to guess what book we're using and guess my name and you know what the rules are, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's multiple choice, of course, but it keeps their interest and. Again, they're doing it in teams, so they learn really fast that, number one, their team can lose points if anybody speaks English or speaks Korean or any other language. I'm not specifically against Korean. I just, this is English class, so if you're speaking French, then uh, you're out of line. Mm. What can they do with the Martin money? Ah, we have an auction at the end of the year. They can spend it on whatever they can can you tell me a little bit about the auction well it's it's my final class and i use it for two things i bring in a list of everybody's marks up to that point they there's still you know corrections and stuff that might be made but at that point they've done their exam they've got their class mark they've got everything and they can go through find their name and that's their chance to say, okay, I think there's a mistake here. And if they're right, we can correct it right there and then. Mm-hmm. If they're wrong, I can tell them why it's wrong. And occasionally it's, you know, uh, how come I didn't get a mark for, you know, my quiz? It's, well, you didn't write the quiz. Well, yes, I did. Well, show me. So they drag out their quiz and we adjust it. And everybody's, I'm not going to say everybody's happy at the the end of it, but everybody's satisfied that, you know, it's fair and, and that's what they're looking for. Well, so Um, what's, but with the Martin money auction, how does that fit in? And well, at the same time, I'll be running an auction and I'll just go to like, you know, home plus and probably Daiso and get, you know, a few things. Actually, I used to do a lot of like, cool little toys and gadgets and stuff. And then finally one class said, well, is this all there is? And I'm like, well, (laughs) what did you want? And they said food. And so, Oh, oh, so nowadays there's a lot of stuff like Ramyun and, you know, chips and chocolate Chocolate pies. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and they really enjoy that. And it gets really pretty hectic as we get, down to fewer and fewer things Um, because the the things are laid out so they can all see what no they're not Um, oh it's yeah secret santa Uh, it it's secret but things on the whole tend to get a little bit bigger toward the end and usually i spend about 20 bucks for a class and for a terms work that's not very much I usually have one of those like big Hershey half kilogram chocolate bars is the last thing. By that time, they know it's the last thing and it's the biggest thing. And half of them are still agog about like it because this isn't something that they expected. And they start to team up, not, not just with people in their teams. You start to see teams teaming up 
until you finally got like two groups in the class bidding against each other. And it's a <laughs> lot of fun. And in the end, one of them gets the chocolate bar. Right. And uh, then, yeah, it's over. That sounds great. <laughs> a nice, nice uh, cap to the end of the term. That's That sounds wonderful. It is. It's a lot of fun. And if I was just doing the, the, okay, take a look at your mark and see what it's like, then it would be, number one, it wouldn't really be a class. They would come, they'd do it, they'd go, or they'd sit around and be bored. And so it avoids that, but it, it gets them to come and do the absolutely necessary part of taking a look at their mark and making sure that it's right. And I think over the whole time I've been teaching at universities, I've had maybe like two people contest their, their grades. I think that's pretty uncommon as well. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's because they've all seen it. Yeah. I think fair it's was a fair. A good, yeah. Yeah. Um, I need to ask you, we're just at 12 o'clock now and I know we started a little bit late, but I need to ask uh, how your time is like, when do you need, when do we need to stop? Um, William is asleep now, I think, I hope. So, um, I think we're probably good for another half hour. So if, if you need it. Um, yeah, well, I just have some questions about Cotisol that I wanted to get to, you know, I've been really enjoying this. Uh, this, I think this yeah, is me really too. Good. I enjoyed it. Stuff. Well, uh, let's kind of get to the, uh, the Cotisol international conference. So, um, this is February 19th to 28th, right? So what's uh, what interests you personally about this uh, this conference coming up? I haven't seen any of the topics except the, the general theme. But as I said before, there's always something new there. I imagine there will be a lot about teaching online this time. And oddly enough, I've become quite interested in that over our COVID year. <laughs> and seeing how everybody else has managed to do. I'm also a little bit interested in the, the setup of the conference itself. I mean, yeah, we've had workshops, we've had our conference um, online. I wanna see what they're gonna do differently to make it bigger and better than, than what we've done. I saw some stuff about Padlet. I've used Padlet before. I started a dating site for my <laughs> students they right. enjoyed that oh that's um, great <laughs> i'm interested to see how other people are using it and i think there will be a lot of really good workshops and and lectures at the at the coming conference because uh, uh there's not that many teachers of course this year but there's always some teachers that are just coming in with no plan to stay beyond, you know, a one-year contract. Why would that person who's just really trying to survive here, what can they expect to find at Young and Cotisol as well as at, at a conference? That's a really good question. And it's one that we've been sort of asking ourselves for a while. I think there are a few things. First of all, um, there's a group of people there that you can come to belong to. And the amount of experience in teaching and in Korea and in 
life in that group is just huge. It doesn't matter if you want to, you know, teach a better class or you have a problem student or you want to find a good place to scuba dive or skydive or go to a festival. Somebody there is going to have done it or know somebody who's done it. And that's the biggest thing I think we can offer. I don't think we're offering a lower level of, of service as much as we could. And a few years ago, I came up with the idea of like creating a book with just things that you need to thrive in this area. It could have a little bit about, you know, lesson planning, but also things like, you know, where can you go out drinking and find people or where can you buy English books? Where can you buy uh, books to teach from? Uh, where's a good place to get groceries? Um, maybe what's the Korean word for, or, you know, sweetened condensed milk or something. <laughs> uh, and I, I would like to, at some point, create this beast and just get it into immigration so that everybody... Every teacher who comes through gets this thing in their hand or on their tablet. And that would be a service that we could do as Young and Cotessel. And it would also be kind of an advertisement for us to bring people in who just don't know we exist. Because I heard about Cotessel when I'd been here about a year uh, because I was in a hogwan with a really good group of people. The, the head teacher mentioned it to us. I think probably upwards of 90% of people who've been here less than a year who work in a hogwan have even ever heard of Cotessel. You know, they, they're finding information in other ways. They've got maybe a group of people at work or a group of friends or some Korean friends that they hang out with. And they're learning that way, but it's not the same stuff we can offer. And it's not from the same perspective that we can offer. Right. Right. So I think partnerships there might be a good idea. Yeah. There's also this, if you come and join us, you can have the opportunity to do your own podcast or your own, whatever that project is that you are thinking about that you would like to try. Somebody's probably thought about it or done it or knows why it can't be done. Or if only this one thing, it could be done. In fact, this podcast is your idea from three years ago, maybe. Is that right? Um, try about 23 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> what were their podcasts? Were they called podcasts back then? Um, no, but I started a club at Kanyang University to create, uh, I, I wanted it to be an English broadcast on the campus, but the campus broadcasting club didn't want us to do that. And so we went online and we put out uh, an internet radio show and it always seemed to me to be a good idea when I was at 
Keist, they already had one. But after that, I just didn't have the time or the people or the what I needed to, to get it going. And finally, when I was at Cotestle, I saw an opportunity and uh, James was there to uh, pick up on it. And I was going to say help, but no, I might've helped him a little bit, but he carried it. And now you've got the banner. <laughs> Congratulations. Well, yeah. well I'm, I'm excited about it. I hope I can uh, take it to whatever the next stage is. And I think it has a lot of potential to, to distribute ideas, to meet a lot of people for both the people who are watching it and for the person who's broadcasting. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I think it should be a lot of fun. I hope it is. So far, I'm loving it. <laughs> well, I'm certainly having a ball. So. Well, that's good. You're having a ball. You know, I uh, you're from the East Coast, from Halifax originally, right? A little that's smaller a- than Halifax. Tatamagush. 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 Yeah. Okay, I'll have to look that up. But it's about, I mean, that's Nova Scotia for people who maybe don't know Canada. Uh, it's yeah. about, uh, I looked this up, 1,800 kilometers from my part of Canada in Ontario, which is sort of more towards the center. I, I grew up, actually, even as an adult, I grew up listening to folk songs about the East Coast provinces. Like, you know, it's Bud the Spud from the bright red mud rolling on the highway <laughs> smiling. You know, from that's Prince okay. Edward Island. And uh yep. What's one for Newfoundland? Oh, eyes the by, eyes the by, the by. eyes the by. Yeah. And what about Nova Scotia? I couldn't think of one for Nova Scotia. What's uh, a Nova Scotia folk song. Farewell to Nova Scotia. The Mermaid. Uh, Barrett's Mer- Privateers. <laughs> oh, that's uh, oh the guy Stan with the beautiful, Rogers. yeah, beautiful voice. He's from Nova Scotia, isn't he? He's from Ontario, actually, but I think no way. maybe his parents are from Nova Scotia. But yeah, what a beautiful voice! Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, he did have a beautiful voice, and uh, he when he, when he came to the East Coast, he revived the whole East Coast music scene. Almost, no, I wouldn't say single-handedly, but he was certainly a huge influence. Well, that's good to know. I remember, uh, yeah, farewell to Nova Scotia, your sea-bound coast. coast yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, that's very good. Uh, I'm happy to, I asked the same question of James, and he gave me some expressions uh, from Flint, Michigan. James uh, R- Rush, the president of Young in Cotisol, uh, who's just in a, another podcast, and he gave me the Flintstones. <laughs> okay from people sense. from flint michigan and a different definition for being chatty oh yeah so what's chatty mean to you chatty just means you like to talk a lot well chatty if you're from flint michigan or from that area of michigan as i understand it uh, from james chatty would be you don't know you're not the person to be speaking about this topic or like you're, you're, Oh, it's like a little bit of a, like it's a little quiet. Ironic. A, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Can be Yeah. <laughs> pointedly ironic. <laughs> <laughs>
Wow. Well, uh, I thank you very much, Martin Todd, for spending your valuable time. And uh, and thank you to William for staying asleep long enough <laughs> for us to chat. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I'm glad he was asleep. Uh, but yeah, I had a lot of fun being here with you. So thank you very much for interviewing me. And thank you for continuing the podcast. Well, my I pleasure. Hope you have as much fun as we all have had with it. I'll do my best. This podcast presentation has been brought to you by the Youngin Gyeonggi chapter of Kotisal, a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting scholarship, dissemination of information, and facilitating cross-cultural understanding of teaching and learning English in Korea. Thank you for listening.